and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Scherzarko, and I am very excited about this episode, which is the first half of a conversation that I had with Christopher Dole of Arden, one of my absolute favorite audio dramas. This is one of my favorite conversations that we've had on Pairing, and it is about the music of John Williams, composer of many, many film scores. You might have heard of him. I was really excited to do this one when Christopher suggested it, because we haven't done that many music-centric episodes, and this just seemed like a really unusual but wonderful way to pair wine with music, and also talk about films along the way. It truly is episodes like these that are the reason why I make pairing, so thank you so much, Christopher. You're in for a treat, listeners, as Christopher performs some music on this one, and we nerd out about music theory and movies, and it's just a super fun time. A quick caveat. We had such a great time talking about the music of John Williams that not only did we record two episodes worth of material, you'll hear the second half in two weeks' time, but this was actually the second time we recorded this conversation because tragically we lost and could not salvage Christopher's audio from the first recording. But this one we got, and while we came across a few audio challenges with this one, I just wanted to give a huge shout-out to Julia Shafini, who edited this episode masterfully, because it would not have sounded half this good if I'd done it. Also, thanks to friends of the podcast, Misha Stanton, for their audio sorcery skills, and to Misha and Will Williams for lending me some of their podcasting expertise. I am so grateful to have the support of so many talented and generous folks in the podcasting community, so thank you so much. And speaking of gratitude, I am so grateful to all of our patrons, including our producers, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, and Allison Tuuri, whom I love more than E.T., our advanced patron, Mara Zobrist, who is more brilliant than Steven Spielberg, and to our master patron, Michael Beck, who definitely deserves an EGOT. If you would like to join all of these lovely patrons, come on over and join us at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast and get bonus content like personalized pairings and wine fun facts. Last but not least, we are sponsored this week by Care Of. I'll tell you all about it later on, but if you just can't wait and want to get a boost on healthy living, head on over to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code PAIRING for 25% off your first order of vitamins, supplements, and protein powders. Without further ado, here is episode 43, The Music of John Williams, Part 1, with Christopher Dole. Right. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome to pairing for the first time. Uh, <laughs> um, at least the first time that anybody's hearing. Uh, Christopher Dole, co-creator and co-writer of one of my absolute favorite audio dramas, Arden. So welcome, Christopher. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, so for those of you listening, we had a little uh, snafu. Christopher and I recorded a, a couple of weeks ago, but we had a little snafu with the audio that we couldn't salvage. So mm-hmm. we're just doing it again. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. why not? Indeed. Why not? Indeed. And, and you're going to be glad that we did. I promise. So what are we going to be talking about today, Christopher? So we are going to be talking about the composer, John Williams today. I've heard of him. 
I think we're going to learn some things about John Williams that I didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And I bet that our listeners will not have known before. Mm -hmm. So I am super excited. And so, Christopher, you've planned out, you know, because what Mm -hmm. what is it? He's he's been nominated for 51 uh, Academy Award nominations. The uh, the second most nominated person in Academy Award history behind Walt Disney. As a, oh, I was going to say, who was before him? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Disney is 59 nominations. Uh, yeah. Hey, Williams can beat it. He's going to, he's going <laughs> to, I bet he can beat it. <laughs> yeah, he is, you know, just sort of some basic biographical facts to get us started. Will, John Williams was born uh, February 8th, 1932. So he just turned 87 this oh, year. Wow. Uh, he has, okay. yeah, out of those nominations, he has five Oscars. He also has three Emmys and 23 Grammys. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's got to be up there for mm-hmm. most Grammys, too. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of who would have more. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some, I'm sure there's someone. Probably, but, but it's pretty high up there. No, yeah. no Tonys, though. Didn't quite Ooh, get nope. the e- didn't quite no, he got Not yet. Hey, he's got time. He's got time. 87. He's fresh. Mm-hmm. A new young <laughs> talent. Prime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mentioned this to you last time, but I always used to go, or I used to go several times to see my dad play John Williams in the Boston Pops. Mm-hmm. Because my family, like you, Christopher, are all musicians. It, uh, mm-hmm. it skipped me. I have no musical talent whatsoever, mm-hmm. but I have great admiration and love for those in uh, in music. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited when you suggested this topic because I think it's it's so fun and, and a really cool way to talk about music and movies at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah, yeah. Like I definitely grew up listening to him. Like one of the first CDs I can remember owning is a sort of compilation called like the Spielberg Williams. Mm. collaborations mm-hmm. um and this was like a big touchstone between me and my dad who he's not much of a film watcher but he absolutely mm. knows who john williams is oh well there you go <laughs> yeah yeah he's a yeah and he's a musician he plays piano as well so this was a oh very nice yeah big sort of like a big family touchstone was john williams oh, nice. and then i've so I've seen Williams conduct a few times at the Hollywood Bowl, which we're going to get a little more into later this Ooh, episode. Yeah, I want to hear about that. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so how I sort of pitched this episode to you is that we would pick out a few specific scores to get into yeah. rather than either the whole thing or just sticking with his most famous ones because you could basically, you could do it an entire episode that is just Williams period from 1975 to 1984. Oh, totally. Totally. You could do, yeah, you, you could do an episode that is just the Star Wars movies or mm-hmm. just the Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to, we're going to touch on a few of those, a few of his fame, more famous scores, but what I'm really excited about and what you uh, suggested are a lot of scores that, are less known or 
or just unusual for John Williams. Like you hear that, like mm-hmm. you hear them and you don't necessarily think, oh, that sounds like John Williams to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm very excited to, to delve into these and to, uh, to talk about what, what wine I think works with, mm-hmm. with each one. Yes, yeah. indeed. Awesome. So unless you have other, any other uh, pre preamble, yeah, not really. Just a sort of a little more fun trivia, which is that yeah. in after he got his start as like a sort of like session pianist for Henry Mancini, a thing we're going to get back to. Oh, that's right. I remember you mentioning that last time. Yeah. That is so wild to me. Yeah, uh, we're going to sort of get back to that later with one of the scores we're going to talk about. But like he gets his start doing a lot of on a to his first film score is a film called daddy O, which is covered by mst3k <laughs> in like the late fifth it's a film from the late 50s and then in the 60s he works pretty steadily he does a lot of music for tv shows including he scores the pilot for gilligan's island oh how about that i yeah. had no idea that he did that yeah um he was the original composer for lost in space and, oh, wow. And then uh, he also does a fair number of shows with a producer named Irwin Allen, which leads him mm. to some of his biggest scores in the early 70s for he's sort of the main composer for the big disaster film, period, oh, in that time. Yeah. So things like The Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, Earthquake, uh-huh, those are uh-huh. all sort of like those are all sort of big William scores before he really breaks out. But then he also does a film called The Reavers. Yes. Which is the first one we're going to get into. So uh, The Reavers is John Williams' first solo Academy Award nomination for original hmm. score. Now, he... For and for an original score. Gotcha. Uh, the previous year, he had been nominated. This was at the time when the Academy also had a category for adapted score. Huh. He had been nominated for that for Valley of the Dolls. And interesting. Mm-hmm. But this is like his first real, like major sort of work. I didn't know there used to be an adapted score category. Oh, there's um, <laughs> there's a really fun piece of trivia with Williams we're going to get into after we talk about The Reavers okay. with adapted okay, great. score. Okay, great. Yeah, The Reavers is a film from 1969 starring Steve McQueen. It's based on William Faulkner's final novel. Which I love Faulkner, so I was really excited when you suggested this because mm-hmm. I have neither read The Reavers nor seen the film. So I kind of... I'm coming at it from, I just listened to a little bit of the score, which was really fun for me to to come into it from that lens. But I'm very excited to both watch the movie and read the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a little more of like, a, it's really like almost his take on Huckleberry Finn. Because it's about, mm-hmm. it's like about a couple of ne'er-do-wells, one of whom is African-American who sort of they go off on this very picaresque adventure with a kid after these two ne'er-do-wells see a really nice new car that's the property of sort of the local boss and decide mm-hmm. they're going to go mm-hmm. off and joyride in it. And in the film, these two sort of ne'er-do-wells are played by Steve McQueen and Rupert Cross, who 
is the first African-American to be nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role at the Oscars. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's so cool. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But that's that, that's such a cool little little tidbit there. Hey, Emma from the future here. I just wanted to clarify real quickly that I don't, in fact, think it's cool that the first Supporting Actor Academy Award nomination for an African-American didn't happen until 1969. That is not cool. It should have happened way before. But I just thought it was interesting that it happened for this movie and cool that it was an adaptation of a Faulkner novel. Just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, so there's a few different categories of Williams scores that, and we're going to sort of be checking in on some of those categories throughout this discussion, but the Reavers is his first major Americana score. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he's very inspired by Aaron Copeland. You hear a lot of fiddle, Mm. a lot of banjo, a lot of harmonica. Mm -hmm. And right from the start, you can tell that William... Williams is already working in the mode that's really going to make him famous, which is that he's great at coming up with these very memorable themes. So, like, the theme for the Reavers is a little, like... <laughs> yes, listeners, you didn't know you were also going to be getting a uh, a, a full on concert in this, uh, <laughs> in this episode. Of oh, oh, yeah, it's like if you know, like you want to. If we're going to be talking about this, I feel like you know it's important to have that to the music right there. To Absolutely, discuss. it really helps. It really helps to mm-hmm. hear it. And to me, that almost sounds like it reminds me of some of those old Civil War songs. Mm-hmm. Um, like very, you know, very American, very Americana. And speaking of that, so I I wanted to be sure to talk about American wines mm-hmm. um, in this episode because I actually haven't talked that much about American wines on pairing because I actually feel like I know European wines a lot better than I know American wines. But one of the real iconic American wines is uh, California Chardonnay, mm-hmm. and it, I feel like it's classic. Um, it's it's a style that is unique to America for the most part, and has just been <laughs> the bread and butter of the American wine industry. <laughs> um, I say I I laugh at that because I believe there is a brand called Bread and Butter Chardonnay, <laughs> but <laughs> um, and. And one one myth that I wanted to spell because we talk a lot. <laughs> I've talked a lot about quote unquote cougar juice on the show, um, and that's <laughs> and that's what we fondly refer to like really oaky Chardonnay as um, mm-hmm. when it's got when it almost tastes like you know like vanilla like liquid vanilla, mm-hmm. and I I am not a big fan of going that intensely in that direction mm-hmm. for Chardonnay. But what a lot of people don't know is that there's so much American Chardonnay that is not like that. And mm-hmm. that it's, you can have that oakiness, that kind of oak treatment to it, but if it's well-balanced with fruit and acidity, 
it's delicious. And some of my favorite, favorite wines are uh, California Chardonnays. Um, and I feel like that's a good one to pair with the Reavers because it's a very just classic American, mm-hmm. uh, not not overly serious, mm-hmm. um, but but can like you sh- you need to give it a little bit more credit than you think you have to. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. One of Williams' uh, major characteristics as a composer is his whimsicality, and you mm-hmm. really hear that at the. Sort of because it's a very sort of bouncy, like yeah. So you've got the yeah. And another thing that sort of comes through in this score is that, and it's something he. This is one of his trademarks of whenever a character is going on like a big journey, he likes mm. to write a theme that also covers a lot of great space in terms of the intervals mm. that mm. so you've got these big like octaves or do uh-huh. So so it's got this sense of leaping of travel of yeah, we are absolutely. going on an adventure here. <laughs> absolutely. And and I think I can relate that to Chardonnay as well oh, because cool. I'm not positive, but mm-hmm. I would probably bet that Chardonnay is maybe the most widely planted grape hmm. in California, if not in all of the United States. Because at this point, every state has uh, a mm-hmm. wine growing region. Mm-hmm. Um, and because Chardonnay is fairly it can grow pretty well in a mm-hmm. bunch of different kinds of climates it's pretty versatile and so it, you can kind of watch you know the grape travel throughout the country <laughs> with that with that sense of movement and nice score nice. there we go nailed it nailed it hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> i also i i have no i i have to double check that i'm right about that it's possible that something else is more widely planted but i can't think of anything that would be more mm-hmm. um, but I can, I'll double check that. But it's still pretty common. So I'm going to stick with it. Hey, Emma from the future back again to let you know that I was in fact right. Chardonnay is both the most widely planted grape in California, as well as the entirety of the United States. 10 points to Gryffindor. Anything else about the the Reavers or that score? Now that I've, uh, you know, made, made my... Uh totally awesome wine connection uh no i think (laughs) i mean i think that sort of sums it up other than you know it's a really really fun score and there's also a really cool like 18 minute arrangement that is for narrator and orchestra that that you can that you can listen to that to read some of the faulkner novel along with a sweet score arrangement of it i love that yeah, I love that. It's it's really cool and v- really recommend tracking it down. I am very excited once again to watch the Reavers and read the book and drink some Chardonnay while I do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's next on the docket? So, three years after the Reavers, mm-hmm. uh, Williams wins his first Oscar for mm-hmm. a range score for the film. Mm-hmm. A fiddler on the roof. What? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, that is John Williams' first Oscar, is <laughs> arranging the soundtrack for Fiddler on the Roof for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I see why maybe they got rid of uh, that that category in the yeah. Oscars. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... <laughs> It's it's maybe I mean, not the best category, but that's still. I mean, I mean, I love Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, but and he did a good job arranging it. <laughs> that's really funny. Oh my yeah. god! This actually just real quick gives me the opportunity to dispel another myth, which is that um, all kosher wine. Speaking of speaking of Fiddler on the Roof and. And Jews mm-hmm. and stuff that all kosher wine tastes like Manischewitz and is like really sweet. There's actually some very good kosher wine out there, and surprisingly, I found several. Well, I found several like northern Italian kosher wines, hmm. which is random. I feel like, um, and and there's some in France, some in Australia. It's like you can find them from wherever, and there's some really actually very good ones. So that's just mm-hmm. my little my little two cents there about kosher wine. <laughs> Don't assume it all tastes like you know grape juice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what you can drink with uh, Fiddler on the Roof is a mm-hmm. nice uh, kosher. Northern Italian wine. Or something. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, so then a couple years after that, he wins his first like original Oscar for Jaws, mm-hmm. which is yes the one that makes him a household name. Yes. And then going off of that, uh, Spielberg recommends uh, he's a guy. He's a Williams, who he describes as the best composer in the world, to his buddy Ooh. George Lucas for Star I've Wars. Heard, I've heard of these people. <laughs> I've heard of these people. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so in 1977, Williams has Star Wars, but then he also has the next score we're going to discuss. Yes. The one that I think is probably his greatest achievement, mm-hmm. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So good. Mm-hmm. So good. When we talked about this a little while ago, I was like, oh, I really want to rewatch that movie, but I haven't rewatched it yet. But mm-hmm. now I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I really want to rewatch that. I haven't seen it in so long. Mm-hmm. But I remember, I remember the music. Yeah. And like everyone remembers like the five tones because mm-hmm. the. Because it's like such a memorable theme and so well used, but the entire score is an incredible achievement. Um, yeah. First off, there's the opening track that's like a minute long. It's called mm-hmm. "Let There Be Light," and it is just these sort of building dissonances, almost like a very twentieth century modernist, like a Ligeti, almost like sort of like the music that Kubrick used in 2001 and it's you've got these building dissonances and like this very ominous tones and then suddenly at the end of this track you get this huge crashing uh C major chord it is like it's like Williams is throwing down the gauntlet almost for himself in a way it's like uh it's a declaration of intent 
on how massive this the events portrayed in the film and the score are going to be right it's it's incredible like thinking about this and and mm-hmm. hearing you explain the different components mm-hmm. of the music because me not being a musician i mm-hmm. hear it and i'm like ooh this is cool this sounds creepy and then ooh that's exciting but it's really it's really fun to hear from mm-hmm. your perspective like how these different how he actually builds these different elements to tell mm-hmm. the story um and it's something that i don't know that most people would really appreciate how how much he puts thought into it mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then really like the whole score up until sort of the third act is sort of rising action with these really like these sort yeah. of very tight intervals they're minor thirds they're yeah it's very very dissonant very ominous like the feeling is like we know that something huge is on the precipice of happening, but we don't know what. We don't know if it's good. We don't know if it's bad. Like, yeah, this is, there's a genuine sort of like terror and suspense in this film. Totally. It's so like ominous for most of it. There's, they're really effectively musically and through Spielberg's storytelling, building the sense that this can go wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And just speaking of that kind of dissonance and that kind of like eeriness, mm-hmm. that kind of eerie quality that he creates mm-hmm. with the music, that reminded me of Riesling hmm. because sometimes Rieslings have this just like uber uber high acidity and that it can almost like when you take a sip you almost like shake or shiver because Mm -hmm. it's like so intense and i thought specifically of of german rieslings because those Mm -hmm. are often the ones that are known best for their like super high acidity Mm -hmm. however like really really good rieslings for me at least when I when I like taste a really great one, I'm like, oh my god, this is everything I want from a wine, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and I feel like that's that kind of like triumphant quality, you know. Mm-hmm. So you get from the acidity, you get that kind of like ooh creepy creepiness, um, mm-hmm. kind of like chill down your spine a little bit, um, and then but when it's like really well balanced, it's like the triumphant mm-hmm. uh, finale. Yeah. Or, yeah. And to me, sort of the moment that you know that sort of everything is going to be okay in the film yeah. is, you know, once they get to Devil's Tower and you get that sort of first flyby, not the not the big mothership, but the little ships and mm. the, um, you know, the scientists are there playing the five tones, the... And then Melinda Dillon's character, who's, you know, she plays the mother of the boy who gets abducted. She That's starts right. to sing along to that da 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 da. Oh, wow. da, da, I da, da, that. da da And she's like, I know that. <gasps> I know that song. Yeah. And you sort of realize it's going to be fine. Yeah. I think I mentioned this before, but I love the idea, like mm-hmm. in in 
you know, first contact or alien encounter movies mm-hmm. or media. I love the idea of music playing mm-hmm. a central role in that. I feel like it it just really helps the storytelling. Oh, like absolutely. And yeah. it's basically like Spielberg going to Williams and like, okay, you've heard the cliche of music being the universal language you're gonna prove it right now (laughs) and you have you also have to compose to basically take over the story right at the climax and everything and you're not gonna see actual footage by the way because the special effects aren't (laughs) done yet yeah you just have to go in and sort of like figure this out you have to you'll be fine yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, you have to give me sort of five notes that will convey everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from apparently from what they've said, they tried legitimately hundreds of versions huh. to get that right version. And wow. now we're gonna get into a little music theory. Ooh, Ooh fun. Sort of really break down. So yes, so we get a concert and a music theory lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Love it. Lay it on me. Yeah, so uh, a musical scale is composed mm-hmm. of seventh, seven notes. Mm-hmm. And then on the eighth note, you're back to one, again, an mm-hmm. octave higher. Now, as the sort of five tones are traditionally written, it's... Two, three, one, one, five. Two, three, one, one, five. Mm-hmm. Now, in a normal melody, the uh, mm-hmm. five usually resolves back to the one, to the mm-hmm. root of the chord. In musical mm-hmm. theory, this is called an authentic cadence because it's the most, it's sort of like a perfect interval. It right. is, um, yeah, it, it actually, like, psychologically feels good when it resolves like that. Um, right. Here, however, mm. it's unresolved. Like, yeah. it's the... Uh, first part of a call and response melody structure mm. is it, it's called mm-hmm. a sort of like a weak or suspended cadence because when you hear uh-huh. it it sounds like it's unfinished right so what he's doing is creating a an unresolved melody it's like a question he's like yeah we are asking the question of the aliens do you come in peace and yeah. ultimately they do. But right. Oh, that's so cool. And there's actually a second part of this, which is Ooh. that depending on the chordal structure underneath the melody, let's make it so the so that this is actually the root of the chord. Well, mm-hmm. now something very interesting happens. So this this has gone from a 5 to a 1. That's sort of three steps up the scale. Now we move right each other note up three accordingly and you get five six four four one Mm. now the four to one resolution the four to one cadence it's called a plagal cadence 
Or, more tellingly, it's the Amen cadence. So when, so it's the, it's the cadence used at the end of a hymn to sing Amen. Oh my God. So it's like. So to speak, no pun intended. Yeah. So it's like simultaneously, it's a question, but also the musical sort of equivalent of being one with the divine. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) That is why I think it's it's such an an astonishing achievement and because it's there's so much underlying it not it's not just catchy but there's all this sort of weight and history and all these very specific musical reasons for why it ends with that totally and that's that's something that like you know that amen that's Mm -hmm. that's such a recognizable thing to so many people like Mm -hmm. i feel like even even if you're not you know Mm -hmm. a churchgoer or religious or anything like you Mm -hmm. you've heard kind of hymns and that that kind of tone Mm -hmm. and so subconsciously maybe the audience recognizes that even if you can't verbally mm-hmm. say oh that reminds me of like the divine or something mm-hmm. but that that kind of that kind of c- correlation probably exists in their minds mm-hmm. that's so cool that's yeah. so brilliant yeah it's not it's not something you have to think about sort of consciously it's just in there in the music and it's why it has such power to it right. even subconsciously oh that's so cool Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. This John Williams guy, it sounds like he he knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yeah, and there's, there's one more thing that is really mm-hmm. special from this score yeah. that I want to highlight, which is yeah. that um, throughout the film, the uh, Richard Dreyfuss character mm-hmm. has been identified with Pinocchio, specifically Disney's Pinocchio as like his right. favorite film. Um, it's it's even clearer in some of like the deleted scenes and extended stuff. There's been a bunch of cuts of close encounters over the years. Sometimes sure. there's a there's a scene where he wants the family to go watch Pinocchio, but they want to go play mini golf uh, instead. Right. Like yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's in, sometimes it's out. But anyway, sure. Yeah, when the time comes for him to board the ship at the end. Williams employs a very familiar melody. Mm-hmm. recognize that one (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes when you wish upon a star Mm -hmm. when sort of those final moments of him standing in front of the ship and he turns towards Cameron there's this incredible light behind him and this look of utter serenity you hear when you wish upon a star building and building in the orchestra to this incredible crescendo and then 
there's this absolute moment of silence, and then... As he boards, in, like, yeah. just a solo... And, like, that's the moment I'll always remember for Richard Dreyfus. It's... It genuinely makes me cry every time I watch that movie. Oh, when it's that beautiful. solo uh, flute comes in, it does. Uh. It's such an incredible musical payoff of everything it's... he's been on in this film. It's magical. It is. It's magical. That's a great way. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just ugh. Yeah, it it sends chills down my spine just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, and also to relate to Riesling, also mm-hmm. because a flute has a has a nice kind of often mm-hmm. piercing noise, and and Riesling can have that really like piercing quality, mm-hmm. like really bright fruit and acidity to it. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really good because yeah. I, I, I was thinking for a second about wine flutes there. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Drink Riesling in a wine flute (laughs) while you watch uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's perfect. That's something I do want to get into at some point, probably not in this conversation, but like what actually Mm -hmm. the different shapes of glassware does Mm. to wine. Um, How much of that is a myth and how much of it isn't. But that's Mm -hmm. I think that's for a different time. But. This is good yeah. for reminding me that I do want to get into it. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's a that's something I've wondered a lot about, honestly. So yes, and very interested to learn that. Yes, it's and and the the answer is uh, some of it is bullshit and some of it isn't. So <laughs> <laughs> of course, so, right? Yep. That's that's just how it works, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, slow your roll there, Emma, from the past, and allow me to tell you a little about our sponsor for this week, Care of. Imagine you're, say, the busiest and most accomplished film composer of all time, and you're constantly working on new scores. It would probably be pretty easy to get burnt out, but that's where Care Of comes in. Care Of is a subscription service that delivers vitamins and supplements customized for your specific health needs. You take a short quiz and answer questions about your diet, lifestyle, fitness, and health goals, and Care Of puts together a personalized plan just for you. It can be hard with our busy lifestyles to get back into a healthy routine, but Care Of gives you that boost you need, whether you're looking for energy, better sleep, to maintain stress, or something else to help you feel your healthiest. Care Of's online quiz lets you know exactly what you need. The quiz is super fun and asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices, and takes only five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically-backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. Because they know that taking care of your health should be easy and convenient. It can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking, but Care-of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. For example, I always have digestive issues and I get super fatigued easily, and Care-of sent me a digestive enzyme and a B-complex vitamin, and I've definitely noticed an uptick in my energy and way fewer digestive issues. And you too can experience the care of difference. Care of makes sure that what you're putting into your body comes from the best sources, backed by honest guidance and transparency, all available to you on their website. 
I really appreciate that for every item, they give you detailed information about how much scientific research there has been into it. And my favorite thing is that the custom personalized vitamin packs are all compostable. So they make taking supplements easy and good for the environment. I'll be honest. I am not an expert at all on how to live healthily, but Care-of has made it really easy and accessible. The quiz was really fun to take and made me think about my lifestyle in new ways without feeling self-conscious or judged, and I've definitely noticed a difference. Also, their protein powders are delicious, and my favorite thing to add to smoothies and shakes now is maca root powder, which I discovered through Care-of. And right now, you can get 25% off your first order with Care Of when you go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code PAIRING. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code P-A-I-R-I-N-G for 25% off your first order. And now, back to the show. Anyway, just to, to wrap yeah, up absolutely. Close Encounters, then sort of like you've got that uh, one... Just like first one fun bit of trivia, mm -hmm. the guy playing the keyboard uh, in the big climax, the, the actual technician who's doing that yeah. is the real guy who just came along to install that machine. And oh Spielberg was like, oh, you're the guy who knows how to handle this. I'm just going to, why don't you just play yeah. the role? <laughs> and, no, like, you know how to work this. That's I want perfect. someone who knows what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I love yeah. that. And yeah, but then but then the ship takes off and you have this amazing sort of wide shot where sort of like before right before the credits start where the entire orchestra comes in on the five tones. Yeah. And it's like sort of like from William sort of throwing down the gauntlet for himself at the beginning and him sort of like, This is what I promised you. Yeah. I have delivered. Like yeah. mic drop. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but then um, I think the final moments of the score are really beautiful because it's sort of done with a... So it's almost like it's a round. Mm. It's like a, it's a lullaby round, sort of singing, almost singing the audience to mm. sleep. And like the... And then that sort of question aspect that we talked about mm -hmm. earlier, it's finally being answered. Yeah. With oh. everyone is saying like hello yeah. to each other at the end. And it's it's such a beautiful way to conclude. Yeah. Oh my God. Ugh. It's so beautiful. It's so impressive. And um and I, as I think you mentioned, but but it really is like the third act of the film is really almost exclusively music and that's such a that's such an incredible thing and such a, an impressive feat that he mm -hmm. uh, undertook and delivered on incredibly well absolutely like i don't necessarily think it's his best overall score sure sure but in terms of like the achievement and what he adds to that film absolutely it is i think his like the greatest yeah. achievement. Yeah, the most impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. So what do we have next? Okay. So next, so 
Spielberg and Williams are both riding pretty high. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Like things are going good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, both um Jaws and Close Encounters were kind of like disasters in the production process. Sure. Like they went way over budget, way over schedule, but the final result was such that Spielberg was like, Oh, I could do anything. So next, I'm going to make a comedy about the panic in Los Angeles <laughs> immediately after Pearl Harbor. Because why not? Because I'm Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. And so we get 1941. Yeah. And so what we're going to focus on with this one is William's marches. Right. Yeah, because this becomes a thing, especially in this period, he is really known for his marches. Mm -hmm. Things like, you know, the Superman you get, dude. Right. Yeah. The Indiana Jones, mm -hmm. like he, the, so the Imperial March. Yep. And so just to clarify a little, um, marches are where you have a very strong, like one. One, two, three, four. Like a person, like, walking, like, sure. march. Yeah. And for this one, you know, because of the sort of war patriotism, war fever, you know, he's like, okay, I need to write something in a very, like, John Philip Sousa mm -hmm. type mode. I need to do something that's very patriotic and upbeat. Right. But just five degrees off. Right. Just a little off yeah. to let you know this... <laughs> Like, this is a comedy. And so we get this amazing, like. Get the so you yeah. get this really like really fun like it's honestly William it is Spielberg's favorite march that Williams has ever huh. composed huh. so much that he actually plays clarinet in what? the score. What I didn't know. Yes. That. <laughs> yeah, which they sort of agreed to do because it's like it's okay. They're like because this is a comedy, it's okay if this one. Is doesn't have the most technically proficient players. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but still, you have to be at least, like, to play the clarinet, you have to be at least a little aware of what you're doing. So, hey, yeah, good for Spielberg for vaguely knowing how to play the clarinet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so fun. That's so cool. And what that, what that reminds me of, again, with this kind of Americana and the idea of, like, patriotism and marching... Um, it reminds mm -hmm. me of like red blends in mm -hmm. in wine, which are often just like very fun, like no nothing too serious. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. ones specifically I'm thinking of are like Zinfandel based blends because I have okay, I have sort of mixed feelings about Zinfandel, but it's mm -hmm. it's another one of those that I feel like can be done really badly um, because it inherently is a very kind of low tannin, very juicy grape. And so mm -hmm. if you don't really know what you're doing with it, it can just taste like really like boring and 
fruity, mm-hmm. um, which which is some people really like that. It's just not my it's just not my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, but when but it, when it's made really well and often when it's blended with other grapes, uh, you get this mm-hmm. like really fun. Nothing, nothing too serious. Often, but just like mm-hmm. easy drinking, little little camaraderie, you know. And uh, a couple, mm-hmm. a couple different ones that I wanted to recommend. There's one called Caricature, actually, and it has a f- very funny <laughs> label. Yeah, and I really like that one. And that one's very reasonably priced. It's like between twelve and fifteen dollars a bottle, and. And it's just it's just fun. It's just fun, easy drinking. And then there's another one, I believe from Sonoma in California, that's a bit more serious and a bit like more expensive, mm-hmm. but really, really good. And those are called uh bedrock. Um, and they make a couple different blends and that are usually Zinfandel based. Like mm-hmm. I remember when I tasted those, that was when I was like, Oh, I really like Zinfandel. You know, like, because the fun thing about Zinfandel mm-hmm. is it can be really spicy, too. And, like, that fun little mm-hmm. spicy quality that I feel like you're getting in that march, you know, like, mm-hmm. that, that little five degrees off that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, because scoring, scoring comedy is, like, really hard. Oh, yeah. Because it's, like, what you really have to do is score the film like it's a drama, like it's a drama in the genre that it's supposed right. to be comedy in. Right. Like yeah, no, as as with almost anything, I think comedy is way harder than drama. Mhm. Yeah, and which is a thing that Spielberg learned making 1941. Yep, yep. Yeah, cuz it was. It didn't get the greatest reviews, I don't think. No, yeah. there's um, <laughs> it's it's a film that throws a lot of shit at the wall. Yeah, a lot of shit at the wall. And that's the other thought I had about it being like like a blended wine mm-hmm. is because it's very much an ensemble cast. The movie is very much an ensemble movie, you know, and there's a bunch of great actors in it. But mm-hmm. and I, it's another one I haven't seen in forever, but uh. But I remember mm-hmm. it being like very zany, yeah. and a lot was going on. Yeah, which I like because I, I like zany comedy. But yeah, I think there's, I would say there's four really great standout bits. Yeah, one is that the uh, the general uh, who is sort of in charge of the defense of Los Angeles. He just, for most of the film, he's very serious. He's like very stoic character. At and the night that sort of everything goes down, he has made plans to see Dumbo. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah, and so like whenever like the chaos of the third act is happening, it'll occasionally just cut back to him. Yeah. And like there's this amazing cut to him during like the baby mind sequence with just tears oh, rolling yeah. down his cheek. He's just got the most hilarious like expression on his face oh that's awesome it's <laughs> such it is such a good joke yep that, um so that that's really great there's this astonishing dog fight that takes mm. place over los angeles specifically going down hollywood boulevard past the roosevelt hotel past yeah. the chinese theater Mm-hmm. That was done with, you know, with models, because that's right. sort of how they did it. And it is, it's an amazing sequence. It's maybe the best model photography in any movie. Mm. It's, it's stunning. Uh-huh. 
It's so good. <laughs> I'm going to have to rewatch it because I don't remember that part. But it's it's such a fun sequence. Yeah. Because um, everyone, because it's two plates that are absolutely not Japanese plates. Right. Yeah. Like one is piloted. <laughs> One is piloted by John Belushi. The other one is by Nancy Allen. Yep. And, yep. like, they don't know who each other are. It's just right. this suddenly, like, this like this mass explosion of panic that just tur- that just lights up the sky. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's so fun. And there's a sequence where uh, the... The Ferris wheel on Santa Monica Pier gets shot off. It's uh, hinges by a Japanese submarine and rolls down to the pier into the ocean. That's, again, just another oh, dear. great, great bit of model uh, photography. Yeah. And it's like the Japanese thinking it's a large industrial structure. Yep. And like... <laughs> <laughs> It's like no, it is a it is a Ferris yep. wheel that just <laughs> rolls down the dock. Oh, that's and, right. Yep. <laughs> and then there's one more sequence that is the swing, swing, swing dance hall sequence. Oh yeah, that one is yeah so good. Yeah, it's so there's this sort of like teenager character who hasn't uh, enlisted for war yet, mm-hmm. and the only thing on his mind throughout this film is this dance contest that's going to take place right. that night, and he right. wants to go sort of with his best girl, but she's supposed to go with this really nasty soldier uh, played by Treat Williams from Everwood, who's definitely got some ill intentions yes. towards yes. her. <laughs> So, like, they all sort of converge at this dance, and what transpires is this amazing combination of musical number and action sequence Mm. that is all set to Williams basically doing a riff on Benny Goodman's Sing Sing Sing, Mm. and it's just incredible. Yeah. It is so well choreographed. It's genuinely as well choreographed as anything in like Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. or Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, just in terms of how the music builds the scene, how the editor Michael Kahn cuts from between like six or seven different characters yeah. who are all sort of like participating and then also getting the sense of the whole dance, the crowd, all this stuff, these these amazing like tracking shots, in particular one where the main kid is sort of spinning through this sort of corridor of people who have cleared for him and then Treat Williams is at the very end sort of slowly raising his fist as then you've got like this drum roll going as he's spinning and it's just... It is so well done. So impressive. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that's so cool. I I remember that that dance scene. And now that I guess Spielberg is doing West Side Story, we get to oh, finally see right. him do another, uh, do a full blown musical there... and see if he can bring that energy. Here we go. Is is it. John Williams going to arrange the score? <laughs> uh... <laughs> Very possibly. Well, he, he won't. Yeah, he he won't win an Oscar this time if he does. It's true. I guess. I guess. I guess. Unless they reinstate the the category yeah. just for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no. But that. But that is that is a such a great scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then, sort of, I think the last thing about this one that's mm-hmm. actually going to carry us into the next one yeah. is that, um, you know, I hadn't really been aware of nineteen. 41 like throughout sort of my childhood because i think that's a that's such an obscure title yeah and i hadn't really thought about it until 
the first time I saw Williams uh, conduct at the Hollywood Bowl in 2010. Uh, So we get there and sort of we see the program and the program includes, uh, for some reason, two selections from the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull Hmm. score. Interesting. And yeah, because traditionally, you know, the concert is structured with the first half is other composers, second half is his composer for some reason. On the program, it said they were going to do two Kingdom of the Crystal Skull ones. Hmm. Instead of the second one, they do an unscheduled performance of nineteen of the nineteen forty one March. That's awesome. And I'm just and I'm just like, holy shit! What is this music? Yeah. This is so good. Yeah. And it was just like after that, I just ran out to like find that score. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really good, and it's not. You know, it's not quite as obscure as the Reavers, maybe, but it's mm-hmm. or yeah, it's it's a little less memorable, I would say, than mm-hmm. or when you think of John Williams, it's not one of the first ones I would think of. Mm-hmm. But it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really glad that you you brought that one to the table, and that John Williams decided to do an unscheduled uh, performance yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that no, was so fun. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And that sort of carries us to our next one. Yeah. For just a little, like, context on this next one. After 1941, kind of flops, Spielberg realizes he needs to get his shit together. Yeah. And, like, I'm going to plan everything. I'm going to stick to budget. I'm going to stick to his uh, schedules. And this really leads him to becoming the filmmaker he is today. Yeah. And the first two films he really is able to do that with are Raiders of the Lost Ark mm-hmm. and E.T. The Extraterrestrial. <gasps> the next e. one we're going to talk about. Yay! Okay. I love Raiders of the Lost Ark too. I love Indiana yeah. Jones. But, but E.T. Yeah. has a very special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I feel like it probably does for... I, w- I would say... I was going to say, like, people of our generation, but even mm-hmm. more than just our generation, I think. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope that kids are still watching that today. Mm-hmm. So, what we've talked about sort of the Americana branch of, Sp- yeah. of William's scores. The next major branch, which this one is sort of the apex of, is mm-hmm. his childhood scores. Yeah. Sort of yeah. childhood adventure. Things like Harry Potter Empire mm-hmm. of the Sun, Hook, mm-hmm. Home Alone, mm-hmm. where it's yeah. there's these sort of very they're sort of lighter with um, there can be some sort of dark undertones underlying the score, but the overall tone is very optimistic. It's very joyous. Um, right. There's sort of a big like adventure going on, and particularly w- with the flying theme of E.T. the Like in the reverse, you've got these yeah. big leaps. Right. And then you've got. You've got this real sort of. There are a lot of. They're very lyrical scores. Yeah. And there's a lot of like mm-hmm. upward yeah. momentum in them, mm-hmm. which I know is something you were talking about last time. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. These these huge leaps of intervals, this sense of freedom and exploration, yeah. and 
it's and really optimism. I think that's the the key word of these scores is optimism. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm also I'm just thinking about it like these these scores because I definitely hear um a lot of ET in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. you know, and not not the exact same, you of know, course. melody, yeah. but but, the in, but that that like style. And something that just occurred to me is that a lot of these childlike scores that he that he uh, that he writes are often in movies in which children fly. Oh yeah, like the ones that you were just mentioning. Oh yeah, uh, like yeah. E.T. Hook. Uh, yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah, definitely. Even like Empire of the Sun, that he's yeah. you know obsessed with the planes and totally. you know the P fifty Cadillac of the skies sequence. That's in right. That. That's yeah. right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so with this idea, so first, first my my thinking for ET was to go with something like Vino Verde, which is a Portuguese wine that is slightly effervescent, and it's made to be drunk very young. Like you, you don't age Vino Verde, and it's just fun, and you know it's great like summertime wine. They're fairly low in alcohol, so you know if you're that kind of person who gives your children something to drink, it's not that terrible. You know, <laughs> not, not I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to do that. Just covering covering my uh, legal legal situation. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking about that, and but then I started thinking about also just sparkling wine, which mm-hmm. I also think. I mean, you know, so there's champagne, and champagne is obviously a big status thing in mm-hmm. the wine world you know it's like it's up there with bordeaux and all mm-hmm. the all the big big fancy expensive wines right but right to right me, but to me like sparkling wine should be about fun and like it's like cake you know you have sparkling wine when you have something to celebrate mm. um and and so that idea of fun and also kind of upward momentum Mm -hmm. uh, made me think of that because literally, I mean, bottles of sparkling wine are under pressure Mm -hmm. and the the cork is literally holding in like Mm -hmm. all this gas and everything that just like wants to burst out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, that's what I was thinking of for ET. I think you could go either way between Vino Verde and sparkling wine. But I did just want to mention since I now live in New Mexico (laughs) that I forget what article I read somewhere, but New Mexico is considered one of the best regions in America for sparkling wine. Oh, interesting. Yes, you may not know, um, but there's this company called Gruet, G-R-U-E-T. <laughs> yes, I did it. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even mean to. <laughs> But yeah, so Gruet, and it was it's founded by a, an act, someone from Champagne, so like he knows what he's doing. But there's something about desert or high desert climates mm-hmm. that is really good for growing grapes for sparkling wine. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's interestingly enough because like Champagne also is a really harsh climate, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. It's one of the, I think it's. It may not be anymore, but at one point it was the furthest north uh, winemaking region in the northern hemisphere, and the conditions there are pretty harsh. But you kind of want that 
for grapes for sparkling wine, I guess, because you don't want them to be like overly ripe or mm-hmm. anything. I that's that's again that's another that's another episode about about uh, growing sparkling wine, but or growing sparkling wine grapes. But yeah, so Gruet. Grew E.T. Um, <laughs> and it's, you can find it pretty much anywhere in, in the mm-hmm. United States. And it's very, very good. Very, mm-hmm. very good. Cool. Yes. Back, back to E.T. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to sort of close it out, because uh, I mm-hmm. had previously referred a couple times to seeing Williams in concert. So one of the things that he sort of has liked to do over the years and, you know, he's been getting sort of older recently. And so he does sure. sort of like sort of less of this stuff at like at the last one I saw, which was really wild was Spielberg actually came out and was the MC for the half of the concert that Williams conducted. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. But that's crazy. Yeah. So one of the, but one of the things he really likes to do is do a practical demonstration of film mm. scoring. Mm-hmm. So he'll play a clip of a movie that he has scored without the score and he sort of narrates his way through it and like okay this is what happening so like maybe i'll add sort of like uh sort of like a trill here to emphasize this i'll do like a grand flourish here or i'll do just some low undertones here so he sort of walks through his process a bit and in 2014 I was fortunate enough to see Williams conduct the entire final reel of E.T. So, like, the the whole last 15 minutes of that movie, the whole bike chase, the ship coming down, sort of E.T. saying goodbye, all of it. With the L.A. film. I mean, to see that sequence in particular, where... It's sort of similar to Close Encounters in that he knows he can go big, in that he right. knows he can, he is willing to take the leap into, like honestly, it's almost like a religious epic in those final mm-hmm. moments with those mm-hmm. drums. But you've also got these really like emotive melodies, like. Like, just these, he's like, there's so much emotion behind it, which can be a thing that leads him into trouble sometimes. He, sure, like, I love the guy, he can overscore films. He can can overdo it, yeah, every once in a while, yeah, like, uh. Warhorse, a film we will not be talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a great score when you're listening to it outside of the movie. Right. When you're watching it with the movie, you're like, "Oh God, this is this is too much. This is yes. way too much." <laughs> yep, yep, very overdone, very overdone. Yeah, I, um, I'm really sad I never got to see Warhorse on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, the the show that with then the they puppets, made the movie yeah, of. yeah. But I don't think Williams wrote the score for that. No, there, no, that probably would have been his Tony if. Yeah, it, it would have been. Yeah, but it's yeah. like, uh, it, it is the sort of the thing where like, okay, we're going to adapt this acclaimed play into a film, but the thing that everyone liked, the puppets, 
we're not doing that because yep, we're. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. It was maybe not uh, Spielberg because it was Spielberg too. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It was. It was maybe not Spielberg nor Williams's best work. But there we go. But no, in this case, when of E.T. when he goes big with those those drums and the whole orchestra, mm. like is he knows exactly how powerful this moment is and that it can totally. sustain and that it needs a score that enormous to close it out. Unbelievable. I love that, mm-hmm. that whole ending sequence. Uh, and it is, it's so nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It's so nostalgic. Yeah. Uh, and evocative and, mm. and joyous. Yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm very jealous that you got to, see that it's it's great because like the uh sort of like because you know the bowl is this sort of amphitheater type thing and so like the top of the amphitheater turned into a rainbow (laughs) like they call it they call it yeah the lights on it they turned to rainbow color at the at sort of uh, those final like drums there it was (laughs) it's like yeah they're they're going for it (laughs) yep that's it you gotta you gotta you gotta go for it yeah Exactly. Ah, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, that's awesome. Yes, if you're listening and you have children, uh, please make them watch ET. Mm-hmm. We need, we need, we need them to watch ET. And now, whether you have children or not, you may want to go watch ET or any of these films because we are pausing the conversation here. You'll be able to hear the rest of the film scores that we talked about in two weeks. But in the meantime, make sure to check out Arden if you haven't already. And don't forget to go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code PAIRING for 25% off your first order of vitamins, supplements, and protein powders. Thanks for listening. Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw, and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Julia Schifini. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Check out our new merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.